welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Kate Sully is a writer, mother of six, and really quite good at getting the bubbles out of plastic book wrap. While most of her time is spent finding lost shoes and investigating what's making the car smell bad, Kate frequently escapes to write entertaining things. She has penned many articles, columns, and reviews for various publications, but when she is not writing, she enjoys starting crochet projects and never finishing them. So I'm super excited to have Kate Solly back on Writers Talking, and this time talking a little bit more specifically about her process and her first book, and then maybe a little bit about the second book. For any of you that haven't already gotten it, go out and get yourself a copy of Tuesday Evenings with the Copeton Craft Resistance. Did I just say that correctly? I don't ever like to mispronounce a name. Like You did. And look, it's a mouthful, so you'd be forgiven. <laughs> I do get a lot of Crofton, Compton, it's Copeton. I think Compton would be a very different craft resistance and a whole different <laughs> vibe, at least the Compton where I'm from in California. It's an absolutely beautiful cover as well. And I, I don't know if we talked about it before the episode or on that last episode, but I absolutely love it. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous cover. But I also loved about this book for anybody who's in Australia and those outside of Australia who can get their hands on it. It has both the warm feelings of Australia as well as really diving into some of these challenges that are the things that I sort of bring up sometimes when people ask me about what it's like to live in Australia. Is it great? And I always preface it by saying there is no perfect place. However, this is the place that feels like home. Now, what I'm talking about, and I was being very vague, is that this takes place in sort of a smaller town. You've got these really interesting characters. And I love, even if you read the back cover blurb, I have an instant idea about who Meredith and, and heading up this little group so that she can be in in control of her friend group. I mean, loosely said friend group, but also the fact that there is diversity and yet that we still struggle with that, like really thinly veiled racism or Mm -hmm. trouble, especially for those of us who are privileged, recognizing where we do have some racist tendencies, Mm -hmm. unconscious right? Mm. But still definitely hurtful for those that were around. Can you tell me a little bit about what made you think about this book? Like where did the germ or the seed come from? I wanted to say germinate. Where did the seed come from that that germinated into this story? That's a good question. I didn't, like at the start, I didn't think, well, I'm going to write a book about Islamophobia and racism, even though that's sort of what what's become. I started because I wanted to write, I, I like to write the sorts of books that I like to read. 
Yeah. And so I thought I want to write a book about a group of different people all coming together and maybe they can do crochet because I know about crochet. So this group of people coming together, but that wasn't enough to make a story. Often if I want to write a book, I I, I would, if it were all up to me, they'd all just get along and nothing would happen. Yeah. And everyone would be, <laughs> But that doesn't make a good story apparently. So I had to have something happen. And it was a news article I saw on the project about um, protests in Bendigo where there was uh, a man driving a like an ice cream van style van down the street playing the call to prayer and he was saying on the loudspeaker this is what you're going to get if you build a mosque (gasps) here no mosque for Bendigo he wasn't from Bendigo himself he'd traveled down there just for the for the activity and when they interviewed him look he was not not overly burdened with social skills himself Mm. and I was watching him and I thought, oh, I really would love to see him get his comeuppance in some brilliantly creative way. And then I had a project for my my crocheters. Yes. So I, I wrote that situation into the book as well as something that was happening in, near my hometown of Montmorency in Eltham where refugees were being settled into the independent living units at the nursing home, with my grandmother's old nursing home actually. Oh, wow. But she wasn't still living there when, when this started. She'd passed away by then. But I knew the place well. And they had, uh, they were using the independent living units and rezoning them as places for newly arrived refugees to set up. Yeah. And this would give them a landlord's reference so that ah. they could then take that reference and, and rent elsewhere. Because when yeah. you arrive in the country, you don't have a reference and it's very oh hard to rent yeah. without one. So it's a very good program. Yeah. But as a result, you still got these people coming in from interstate and at places that were not even Eltham, to come and protest. And within Eltham itself, this movement started up, which is still around today, called the Welcome to Eltham movement. And they had this beautifully creative way, using the butterfly as a symbol, to to express welcome to their new neighbours. And... And also to, even though they were there first, the Welcome to Eltham people, they were also expressing resistance to these protests. Yeah. And they, in, in, in my book, there's, there's a scene that's similar to this, but they decked out the site of a protest that was a planned protest. They didn't come and, and you know, counter-protest, but they decked out the site with all these butterflies up on the fence and mm. in chalk over the paths so that when the protesters arrived there, it was beautifully decorated with their own counter-protest in this sort of peaceful and creative way. Yeah. And so I was very fascinated with the idea of peaceful, creative protest. And it's so, and visual, like extremely visual. visual. I won't put in any spoilers because you've sort of got Mm. a twist near the end Mm. where people find out more about everybody's actual position on it Mm -hmm. and what they've been doing. And I thought it was beautiful. But, and again, for anybody that's seen sort of, I'll call it yarn bombing or what, what is the other phrase that they... Uh, Gorilla, sometimes they call it gorilla knitting or in this case it'd be gorilla crochet. But But yeah, it's not knitting. Definitely not knitting. knitting. No knitters allowed. (laughs) Crochet, but this very visual part. Well, let me ask you about this because you brought this up in the last episode on Writers Talking, where the feedback you got that at least at that moment made you happiest or feel the best, or at least let you exhale a bit, was somebody got back to you about the character Yasmin and your portrayal of her. I would love to find out, especially for those of us, and I know this is a sticky sort of 
place. I believe in the importance of own voices. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we can only sort of live through our full empathic ability if we try to explore what it is like to live in somebody else's shoes. I read all acknowledgements in every book always. So I know that you thanked the people not only who helped you in the writing, but then sensitivity readers as well. Mm -hmm. So tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit about how you undertook that. Once you discovered, ah, this isn't just a book about people doing crochet and everybody getting along, because that would be really fun, and just Mm -hmm. picking out cute little caricatures of people maybe in a smaller town in Australia, but that you knew this is the main source of tension. And Mm -hmm. it's really important to talk about. So I think natural, and you had to have characters Mm -hmm. who don't have that same lived experience as you, how did you approach it? This was definitely the aspect of the story over which I lost the most sleep. I definitely believe in own voices. And so, yes, I I was tearing my hair out a bit, you know, being non-Muslim, writing a Muslim character. Mm. I needed to do that really well. And and I often think the comparison is there's there are other aspects of the story that I probably didn't know enough about, like Meredith's job. I've never worked in a job like Meredith's before. And I could get that wrong. That could have really annoyed someone and they would have gone, that's not right. That's not how it works in the building industry. But if I were to get something important wrong with Yasmin, that's not someone's job. That's like the deepest part of them I'd be getting wrong and that would be quite hurtful. And I was Mm. really, and I could be, you know, causing well-meaning harm in that area. I was doing a lot of research and I thought I was doing a lot of research, but the more research you do, you realise, oh, hang on, I've got, I've got a lot more to do. Yeah, so I spoke to a lot of people. I had a wonderful woman in my, I still have a wonderful woman in my my writer's group, Najma, who's just a brilliant writer herself. She writes The Age. She's brilliant. And she would, she read some scenes for me. We had coffee together. We chatted. And she also pointed me in directions of other places I could look. Mm. So while I, you know, you can do a think, read a lot of nonfiction think pieces and that, and that could maybe tell you some of the facts around Islam. It doesn't give you that sense of conversation and say how, how Yasmin would relate to her mother and her sister and, and that sort of casual conversation. And so I've, I still do listen to a lot of Muslim podcasts and YouTube and Instagrammers, that sort of thing. Comic books, I, I, not comic books, you know, internet comics. I often oh, follow one called. Yeah, yeah. yeah in this it's quite fun those sorts of media really helped me to get the the casual ideas into it um but i also my beginning point before i even spoke to to these other muslim women who helped me i looked at how we are similar and so there are ways in which we are we are quite similar i know what it's like to be very nervous about being pregnant with your first child i remembered that so i i could draw on i could draw on like I'm i'm a person of faith myself and i know that awkwardness of being person of faith in a world that is very secular and yeah. you disclose about that. Like even now saying that, you know, I'm breaking into a sweat. <laughs> 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 because how weird to be religious. That's weird, you know? And so I, understand. I think that's an Aussie thing. I, I mean, yeah. when uh-huh. I say that, 
I think in Australia in particular, which is also why, by the way, I find it shocking that because I'm not religious, but I am spiritual, Mm. that we have to opt out for my daughter at a public school of Mm. scripture. Mm. And so I've had, this is an aside and I apologize, but I just find it fascinating. And I want to share what it's like here because I had a big chat with her. She's one of very few who skips out on scripture. Scripture being, it is Christian based. I wouldn't even necessarily say it's, it's Catholic versus Protestant versus any of the other iterations of Christianity. I wouldn't know personally because I didn't go to school in Australia. And what I had to share with her is I love it when they provide ethics class as a replacement instead of nothing, Mm -hmm. which is just learning, doing other schoolwork, which is fine. But she's one of the very few of her friends that doesn't go to scripture. Mm -hmm. And I explained to her, it's, I would have no problem with you going to classes on religion, but Mm -hmm. I believe because I don't have a particular one. I want you to hear about world religions because Mm -hmm. I want her to get that sense as you sort of did not only a Australian versus a Muslim from any other part of the world, potentially, mm-hmm. although Yasmin has the the feeling, and I can't even remember, she does have these very Australian, independent, sassy, I loved her. And so, but she's also very much like the friends of mine who don't fit in a mold or a stereotype, should I say, of what a Muslim woman should should act like. If you're Muslim, you do this, this, and if you wear the hijab, you do this, this, and this. You wouldn't possibly ever be disrespectful, you know, explicitly or not. But Australia being such a, a secular place, I was blown away that this was a thing, that you have a course, that you're doing scripture. It absolutely would make sense if she were in a private school, a Catholic Mm. school or a Jewish school, and then they have religious teachings that that go along with that. But that's not what we're doing. So it's very strange. But in Australia, you're right. Sort of like we talk about being a mother, and we're talking about our generation, as opposed to just one, the one before us, Breast is best. You must nurse your children. If you, God help you, can't, or I knew a nurse who decided before she gave birth, I'm going to bottle feed. Mm, mm. It was like, what? How very possible. Don't admit, right? At least (laughs) pretend. So I just want you to know, yeah, you don't have to pretend. You can be openly very... (laughs) very religious, very traditional with your beliefs. But I think actually that probably adds even more to the depth because you did have Catholic characters and in fact, Mm. people supporting each other in that shared vision, even if their way of living out their beliefs Mm. is not totally the same. Mm. They were supporting each other, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. The interchurch group, or I can't remember what it was called, but there was a, an interchurch group where they're all, you know, yeah. working together on coordinating their efforts and that to help the refugees. And yeah. yeah. So you started doing some research, like you said, facts and talking about, or talking rather to women mm. who were Muslim. How much, what order? Because that's always the mm. big sticking point. I think that we can get lost in the mm. research. So had you started writing the story and then realized, because it's not very far in the story where we meet Yasmin. So, mm. but I don't mm. know, did that change finished early, version? Yeah, definitely early version of 
Yasmine, I reckon she was she was too much Catholic, but the names changed. Like okay, like I the more I researched and learned about Islam, I realized that no, that's not how she would be praying. That's you know so. But I started to write. So I started to write. I got to know her as a person and um, and I researched. I researched, you know, Pakistan, the time that she was living there, and I researched all, all about Islamophobia and 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 lots of different and, and, and people's experiences. I read quite a few books about people's experience of casual racism and how it impacts upon them. I wish I could name some of those books now. But also books by, by Muslim writers and especially contemporary books like like Randa, Randa L. I've forgotten her last name because I'm on the spot. But she wrote "Does My Head Look Big in This?" and Ooh. quite a few. I read read her books. Uh, she writes young adult Australian young young adult uh, fiction. So yeah, so when I began to I began to write her, and I just, I wrote what I knew. So I knew yeah. you know I, all the things I knew. I put that into her, and the other stuff I had to learn. But I'd already begun writing the character, and I already knew her. Okay. when I was researching and I spoke to lots of different people and I always sort of thought that I was coming to the end of it and then I'd speak to someone I'm like, no, I've got a whole lot more to do. Okay. Wonderful Kate Kennedy put me on to Demet Divaroran who edited Growing Up Muslim in Australia. Yes. Yes. And each time I have these conversations, I'm waiting for the gold star to say, you've made it, you're done. And she's like, you're doing, this is great. I like what you're doing. Now, now what you need to do is research this, 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 like all this research. I was like, oh, like I always think when I got to the finish line, it's like, no, that's definitely not the finish line. And even when it came to the sensitivity readers, that was after the whole the whole book was done. I'd yeah. spoken to a lot of people. I'd done a lot of research. The whole book was done and it had gone through all the edits and a firm had said that they would be paying sensitivity readers. I stole, oh, you know, we've got to get that done. And we got these two beautiful women and they read over it and they were very positive, but there were still changes then, the things that I, I didn't quite get right. And one of them was sort of a small change, but it required quite a bit of rejigging okay. to make, there was, there was something where I had portrayed a, a relationship that was a bit like dating, like a dating relationship. And they were saying, uh, that wouldn't really happen that, that two people will be having that, that, that are in that courtship sort of thing. They would not be meeting for coffee without a, a chaperone there as well. And so I had to somehow work a chaperone into that scene while still having all of the misdirection work as well, so that was wow. that was a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? I have I have a writer who's from Pakistan, and I've read over her work, and it's interesting because it started a lot of conversations about, like you were saying early on, you would love to write a book where everybody just gets along, and we know that's yes. not going to work. But and and everybody getting along is something that does happen sometimes in, in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's not absolutely unrealistic, but it doesn't work in terms of story. Now, feedback we Mm. had with this particular woman too, or that I had was this couple were meeting again and again and again, and it was always around the same scenario, like at a cafe or going for coffee. This It was always dessert and always the conversation had to be a certain way. And she gave, so my feedback was, we need to see some, some shifts or some depth. We mm-hmm. just need to say, see a different sort of scene. And she was talking to friends within her community and sense checking and saying, I see what you're saying. And no, that is a reflection of what we would do. Here are the safe places mm-hmm. and the safe people with whom we're surrounded. Here are the conversations we do have. This is how deep we do go and where we don't go. And I thought that's what's so important, mm. especially when writing a story. You want to please both the reader mm. 
And when I say please, I mean, keep their attention mm-hmm. because we're also challenging them, right? Mm-hmm. So how, how did, even though those were, it was a small bit of feedback that yes. required some really interesting maneuvers with the manuscript mm-hmm. after it had gone through an edit. Also, by the way, this shows you, you could edit forever. Yes. <laughs> Eventually, you think kind of like you were hoping with the research. At this point, we're just going to stop. Like this is mm-hmm. where we can go with this particular story. How fascinating. So I guess what I would ask you too, and where was that fear? So every time you were meeting at least the first person who was given you this feedback and you thought this is it were you writing whilst you were researching did you put the manuscript aside while you did research how did you manage that because also by the way everybody if you don't remember Kate has six kids and I assume she does (laughs) she leaves, leaves the house not just to drop off and organize kids so there's a lot going on (laughs) Just imagine research, writing, raising children, activities, all of that. How did you manage? This is where we get into the process. How did you manage that when you were still doing research whilst Mm. writing the story? I think I... Everything was done in little little chunks, you know, little, little bits of time. Sometimes the research was going out and buying someone a coffee and, and chatting with them or um, or talking over the phone or sometimes we would message back and forth. And that often would happen simultaneously to working on the manuscript itself. And so, yeah, I, yeah, there were sort of conversations that would happen throughout the whole course of the oh, six years that it took me to write. Well, no, it sort book. of makes sense why mm. it might take you so long. And that's not to say to anybody who doesn't have to juggle all of these things and is not writing somebody from outside their experience, although almost always we're writing at least mm. one character from outside mm. our own lived experience. They're just sort of, as you'd said, boundaries. Some would keep you up at night and others mm. not so much. I really like the fact too that you started to write Yasmin even though eventually she would change Mm. from a place of knowing, and I'm pointing sort of down toward Mm. my heart, Mm. rather than than saying, oh, I'll just put a place marker Mm. until I know enough, that you start from where you are and realize that you are going to mold and change, Mm. right? The core of who she is has always been the same. Um, because I know, I know how, like, I know what it means to be a daughter. I know what it means to be a sister, uh, to be expecting a baby, to be a person of faith. All those things are sort of at the core of who she is. And I know many people who, who are introverted. So I understood, you know, that she needs that time to herself sometimes. And so that it was more the details that I needed to get right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and some of her behaviors and things like that I needed to get right. Yeah. Like responses. So I just was listening to a, an interview the other day where the author said by sort of the final third of the book, that was the most exciting part because by that time, she felt she more fully knew each of the characters. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you have that experience as well? Even though, you know, we've just <laughs> talked about edits that you'd had to make afterward. Do you know sort of their motivations and their backstories? Mm. Even for those characters, I'm not going to call them the villains, but Mm. kind of those people we're not wishing for. And that, like you'd said, actually, even what sort of sparked it is that feeling of being able to give them their comeuppance. And And yet I can relate, which is terrifying. Like I can relate to each one of those villains because 
they they are the heroes of their own stories. Like they yes. they think that they are doing great work. They are helping Australia. They and I can you know I can see they're completely misguided, but they don't know that. Mm. And and I can see that you know poor old Gideon the you know the big one that drives the van around. He just wants a community. He's very he finds it hard to make friends he doesn't really he's not very he's very socially awkward and and this is a community for him and you know oh yeah definitely i could uh, the, the villains are it's scary how much i can relate to them even though i know that oh they're awful but they don't they don't know that they think they are so right and they cannot see that they're not right i think yeah. that's what makes them more real because that's mm. a, the truth right so you mm. must be a very open-minded person and by that i mean you don't hold sort of loose uh, values. Your values are strong and yet you're able to put yourself into the shoes of another and find their humanity. I think in any story, we need that. And until some writers find that way of, I guess, really connecting to the people who are making the wrong choices. Years ago, I'd heard from someone that it's the protagonist and the antagonist have the same end goal, but opposing ways of getting there. So they are both going to feel strongly. And it does sort of challenge me. I'm a very open-minded person as well. So I'm sure it, I'm positive it drives my husband crazy because I will play devil's advocate. And it, mm. but it doesn't mean that I don't get fired up. Mm. I definitely do. There are certain lines and boundaries that I find for myself are more firm, but I'm always going to say, well, where are they coming from? And then if what you're doing or I guess espousing is going to step on someone else's right mm. to fully mm. express themselves, then that's not right. I, you know, I, I guess I kind of have a hard line there, but I'm like you. I can mm. see where they're coming from. I feel empathy for them. Mm. And yet I still believe that my version of right and wrong is more correct. And they fully mm. believe in theirs. And I guess that's what you were mm. able to show. I think it's important for people to write these fully embodied characters rather than playing, like I said, a caricature of something mm. because that's not actually supporting. If you were making a point, which you were in this book, it's it, yes, it's a fun story, but it has heart and it has a point to it. The point would be weaker if you mm. made mm. the supposed villains just a very two-dimensional sort mm. of character or a set of two-dimensional characters, right? Definitely. If we can't see what's potentially beautiful about them mm. or something where we our heartstrings are pulled because we identify with what it feels like potentially to feel awkward or to, or to mm. want friends. Now I'm super excited because I want to ask you about your next book. Uh, so have you have you had a similar experience writing it? Like, are you finished with a first draft, multiple drafts? And how long did it take in comparison to book one? Well, I've had a little bit more time to work on this one because, uh, oh, this is this is going to be a whole other thing. But I, <laughs> when I was writing the first book, I was also homeschooling my primary schoolers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Was it because was it was it chosen homeschooling or forced homeschooling, i.e. the pandemic? Yeah, before the pandemic. That was wow. what I did. Okay. Amazing. 
And so now that they're all of school age, they they all go to school and I have that time during the day to write, which I didn't have before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, so I've had a little bit more time to work on it. It is different. This one is a cosy mystery. Oh. If you imagine that Miss Marple was a mother of small children, that's <laughs> sort of where I'm going with it. With my protagonist, she has a preppy, a toddler and a baby. And she's a bit overwhelmed, you know, as you are when you've got small children at home and needs something that's just for her. And that thing is solving mysteries. She's, she likes to be a detective. So that's, what it is. Oh my I, um, goodness. She's trying How to long help. have you been working on it? I had the idea for it probably in the middle of writing the first novel, as you yeah. do. Yeah, you yeah exactly. New characters. I, I'll, I'll get to you. And, and it stuck around. So then when I started sending my first novel off to beta readers yeah. and then later off to, to, to the publisher, I started work on this next one. And so it's I was working on a little bit when I signed for the first one. And then during the year last year, while I was when I wasn't doing the edits on on the first novel, I was working on the second novel. And then I'm still working on it now. It's just about done in the first draft. I keep adding to it. I need to cut it back. It's a behemoth. <laughs> but it's great. And and I've I've got to the point now where I've got to know the characters and they're good fun. And it's there, there are two two women who are central to it. And that hopefully could be a series as well. We'll see how that oh goes. God. So fun. Well, you know what? You bring up something too that we've had chats with other writers and everybody approaches it differently. How do you deal with that switching? I mean, obviously you're very adept at juggling. Yes. <laughs> because you have to be. But how did you manage to, you know, like you said, you had the idea for it mid mm. book one, and then it was book one is being beta read, and then you're, you know, you're switching back and forth. And then mm. do you do these things, again, in those small pockets of time and easily switch from one to the other? Or do you have to fully give yourself over to one project and the other one sits on the back burner I, sort of bubbling? I would love to be able to sort of wake up, work a bit on one project, switch to another one, do a bit of editing, do a bit of publicity. I find for some reason I, I haven't mastered that. Mm. I will find that I'm in a season. So yeah. I might be yes. in a season where I'm writing I'm writing a draft or so I see the three main ones as being creating, editing, and then publicity. And publicity sort of happens every day anyway, but like there's yeah. sometimes there's a season where you We're just concentrated. Walk. Yeah. Concentrated publicity. So at the moment I'm I'm happily polishing off this draft. It's gonna go out soon and yeah it's and then yeah editing's a different part of your brain so mm. I I don't tend to be creating while I'm editing I'll focus on editing for a few weeks and then send that back and go back to creating it's really interesting because we have a lot of conversations about longevity as an author timing for an author and so and I believe that the last time we chatted about this too and I remember seasons that that really resonated I had somebody in in particular say they really resonated with that concept mm -hmm. of having different seasons for it mm -hmm. and understanding how you are and how you work best rather than feeling less than or you're not doing it right mm. you know what I mean like yes. instead of saying oh I must do them all because you maybe because you're a mother of six mm -hmm. you know that you have to give yourself over fully to whatever you're doing 
And it only feels good if you do it this way for yourself and give yourself the space of seasons rather than saying, I should be like, I can do this in the morning and this at night and whatever. Especially when we're talking about something, it's not just creating. Crochet is creating. Painting Mm -hmm. is creating. All Mm -hmm. of those things. And I'm not saying that it's easier always to switch. But certainly when we're talking about something like creating a person that could potentially The reader must feel like, as we were talking about Mm -hmm. early on in our conversation before we started recording, that you could see out on the street, that you think of the character as being someone you actually know. How do you do that? And just let me just switch and be in somebody else's world. Because even if we're talking about a contemporary world, right, and, and they're in the same space and time as we are now switching between those are still worlds right Mm. like i'm getting all science fiction here but Mm. in another parallel universe that is where so you are still building a world where Mm. meredith Mm. and claire and yasmin and melinda and all of the people they are and now switch over to this one where it's I don't obviously know the characters' names, but you've got a mom mm-hmm. of three who's feeling very harried and and just needs a little bit of something to be hers as a mm-hmm. woman herself in this world. Those are different worlds. Mm, definitely. Yes. They might even be in the same town, yeah. but they would feel different for you. So having permission just from that one perspective of the creative, giving yourself permission not to be perfect at swapping out mm. and saying, I can and just do this right now. It does mean you're in a different way of, I guess, producing things. Mm. So some people might have a dream of doing a book every year. And unless you get things mm-hmm. really running tightly, mm. and you know, you can do it, which I find amazing and probably not something I could do. The number of balls I drop is not mm. worth <laughs> talking about. Hopefully they bounce a bit, Mm. but that is for some people. Some people can do that. That's how they're built. They're amazing. (laughs) And, and, And it's great, but that's them and they might have challenges in other places. So I think giving yourself that permission, the the recognition of who you are at this season of your life as well. Yes, that's likely change as your Mm. kids get older and their activities change or their they're leaning on you changes. I think that's really, really important. If you had anything you would share with Kate, who is just getting started with mm-hmm. writing, now you've been through the whole process once and you're going through different because different type of story. I mean, I love, love, love mm-hmm. cozy mysteries. I love escaping into them as well. And like, who doesn't love a like an Agatha Christie story? But what advice would you have for Kate before she really got started writing? I've been thinking about this and I think I, I would also say this to, to other writers in that position is I feel when I look back, I, I just want to take myself by the hand and say, you don't need to waste so much energy looking around asking for permission to be a writer. I, I spent so much energy thinking, am I a writer? Does this count? Am I, oh, can I call myself a writer? Is it okay for me to to just go away and do some writing when I should be doing all this other stuff? Mm. I think that that, you know, is this any good? All that sort of doubt, I, I think that was, a lot of that was wasted energy. And I think I would, I would uh, go back and say, just, you know, if you're right, you're a writer, just write. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it, it The other thing too is waiting for that external validation to own it. But I will tell you, I have worked with writers who've written 
and had traditionally published multiple books. And they still mm. say they're still like, if there's a box, but I'm not a fill in the blank yeah. type of writer. Yes. But I'm just a this. Always move. Yeah. Right. And we, and we do that. But I, some of that is also maybe when we're trying a new project and M may have mentioned this one on our last conversation too, like mm-hmm. new level, new devil. We, we start something and then we think, wait a minute, I think I forgot how to do this. And it's mm-hmm. because we're re, well, probably we're challenging ourselves to write mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that is outside. I don't know of a writer who isn't sort of stretching in mm-hmm. one way or the other, whether it's shifting genre a little bit and trying that out and taking ourselves back to being a beginner, which I find hilarious because as adults, we're reticent to be a beginner. Like we only want to try something new if we're pretty sure we're going to be good at it. Yes. And yet (laughs) it's inherent in the writing and unconsciously I have Mm -hmm. seen writers, they could just do the same thing. Yeah. You know, wash, rinse, repeat. They don't, they don't do that. They try something new and then they get all caught up in, oh, but what if I'm rubbish at this. I'm only this Mm. kind of writer because Mm -hmm. I only have the validation for that one. And then we winnow it down. I love that advice to your, your previous self and to all writers is to own it. And if you feel yourself sliding, this is something I did at a retreat and everybody likes different things. I'm a big one for wearable inspo. So whether it's jewelry or something like a totem, get something that says writer. I made badges. Etsy is great for this stuff, by the way, for anybody who wants (laughs) bookish stuff, but getting yourself a little badge or getting a necklace or a bracelet or something that you sit on your writerly desk that Mm -hmm. reminds you you're a writer and you can get it for yourself. Like it's nice. I have gotten it for others because we're still trying to bridge that gap. Mm. Get it for yourself. You don't need to shout it out. You don't need to share your projects too early because most of us know that if we say, if you say you're a writer, here's one of the challenges and probably one of the reasons you felt funny sharing it. We fear, and it's honestly something that does come up. Then people say, Oh, you know, would I have read something you've written or where is your book or when is it coming out or whatever? Mm. So it's okay to keep some of it to yourself and only share it with the people that you feel safe sharing it with because you don't want to be harassed. It's like Mm. any other conversation you don't want to have. If you're younger and unpartnered and people asking you, when are you going to partner up? And you get married and when are you going to have kids? Like we all have this. Always, always, yeah. It's not just for writers or painters or photographers or whatever it is you do. It's okay. I always thought, when are you going to stop having kids? That was my question. (laughs) Help you? I mean, have you decided (laughs) to stop? Let's just talk about really personal things. Like, hi, nice to meet you. Um, Are you going to stop having kids now? Someone in the supermarket. No. Uh, There's a joke. There's a joke in that Yasmin and Claire have this wonderful conversation about how Claire always gets interrogated about her twins. And those were all questions I've been asked, including, uh, so has your husband had a vasectomy yet? That that was people I don't know, people in the supermarket. And and you you laugh it off and they're like, well? And it's like, oh, my God, you weren't joking? You, you try to deflect and they're like, I need to know your, your medical history. <laughs> that is, 
people are really strange. Uh, But also, like I said, everything is content and how beautiful. I think this is one of the benefits to being a writer too, Mm -hmm. is you get to save these weird things that you would never think of in a million years to say something. Look, it's Mm. hard enough to have that conversation if you're going to have it between you and your partner. (laughs) Like, are we thinking of having kids again? Much less a stranger in a supermarket (laughs) that thinks they can come up because they see you've got lots of kids around. I think Mm. that too, the super, any supermarket scene where you've got a mom, I particularly loved her right at the beginning. So I don't, you know, I'm not like spilling the beans for anybody too early on. But, and how funny, I hadn't even thought about the fact that Emma's book, that last conversation we'd had starts with a supermarket scene, dealing with a child in a, in a trolley and how the people around them are responding or not responding that shared experience. And I have another writer who had a scene and she's still in process with her manuscript, but I said that scene in the supermarket that I identified with. So that's a very singular sort of female, possibly female with a child Mm. of any age, unifying experience Mm. of having to walk through knowing things are happening, child is running away or child is Mm -hmm. pulling things down or child is shouting or child is having a tanty and you're trying to just make your way through the supermarket as Mm. best you can, you know, I've got a list. Hopefully I remembered, but maybe I forgot it and I don't know where it is, but I've still got to get this stuff. We're just trying to make make our way out as best we can. And poor Claire misplacing her wallet at the most inopportune Mm -hmm. time, but moving through the world in a way that you think I'm just so uncomfortable almost all the time because it's not just me anymore. And there are people who say Mm. really outrageous things or just give you looks Mm. as if Mm. you can't see them or make noises as if they don't express what they're thinking. I mean, I guess I will, maybe we'll wrap up this episode here, (laughs) but we will definitely have you back on because I would love to dive into stuff too about writing Mm. cozy mysteries and how it feels to shift. Yes. Genre. I mean, there's a mystery <laughs> almost in every book, but mm. this is this would be more explicit. Yes. And the other themes that we have for a mother trying to wrench back something yes. of herself for herself and how yeah. important that is. But for anybody, like I said at the beginning, if you haven't gotten this book mm. and you want a feeling, and okay, I'll be honest, you are open minded and open hearted and are bothered by racism, you will definitely love this book because it will trigger you and you'll and you'll see parts of yourself that you would like to shift and change. But I love a book that makes me think about how I'm walking around in my own life that isn't overbearing or preachy or anything like that. This is that book for you. So check out the link in the show notes or go look up Tuesday. It is a mouthful. So I have to read it every time. I'm sorry. Tuesday evenings with the Coped and Craft Resistance. They do say, by the way, in trends that books with longer titles are popular at the moment. So that would be the reason. So hopefully everybody goes and gets it. And by the way, it just looks really good on your bookshelf. You don't have too many books. <laughs> very grammable. It's very, it's pretty. 
is incredibly pretty. You just have it. Luisa Maggio. I need to credit. She was the wonderful cover designer and she did an amazing job. Luisa Maggio. It um, is so stunning, Luisa. Thank blue, you for doing that. Yes. Blue with lovely crochet designs all over it. And, and like cute. pops of color, extra Pop. color. I mm. love it. Thank you so much, Kate, for sharing probably more than you'd intended to on today's episode. Thanks for anyone who doesn't notice because hopefully I've edited them all out, but we had technical glitches and she just kept rolling with me. I can't wait for the next time we chat, Kate. No worries, Anjanette. Yeah, I'm great at oversharing. It's it's what I do best. (laughs) Me too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more writers in conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.